Afternoon and welcome to another episode of Any Given Monday. I'm your host Hayden Adoni, and boy, oh boy, have we got a ripper episode in store for you today, covering the aftermath of Super Bowl 51, our thoughts on the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2017, our thoughts on the new coaching changes, and much, much more. Welcoming you today is also Duncan Song. Duncan, welcome. Dads, I'm really excited, but I'm also really upset. We've, we've got no football, mate. We're done. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty devastating, hey? I, I don't know what it's, to do. It's, crazy. it's like 30 weeks now before we get football again. Ah, 30 weeks is too long. We could have had the XFL, but I mean, that was an absolute flop. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, as you say, we've got a huge show in store, but before we do, I, I really want to know, what did you do with your weekend? No football to watch. What do, what do you do? Mate, my weekend was, it was shocking. Um, on Sunday morning, I live in a high-rise apartment, and um, on Sunday morning, got woken up at 8 a.m. to the fire alarm, oh, and, it's, and and um, I'm I'm sitting there trying to think, okay, what's going on? And then we get the evacuation. We've got to we've got to get out. So you can't use the lift in this uh, these situations. So I'm trying to run 24 flights of stairs down to the to the lower <laughs> floor. So I'm, I'm running like Levy on Bell did when um, the Steelers got kicked out at three in the morning before the Patriots <laughs> played. And man, my, my legs have felt like they had been to the gym about seven times over in a single day. They were, they were absolutely wrecked, man. <laughs> I can imagine. So you're thinking of a but, career at running back then, mate? Oh, definitely not, mate. The only place I'm running to is, is uh, my bed. I was exhausted. <laughs> Now, mate, let's get into Super Bowl 51, the aftermath. You mentioned that there's going to be no football for another 30 weeks, but you've got someone like Bill Belichick already saying that he's a few weeks behind every other team for the next Lombardi. I mean, how crazy is that? That's really... It, it says a lot about the guy, doesn't it? I mean, he's already planning for next season. He's not content with, you know, we've just won the Lombardi. Let's have a couple of weeks. Let's celebrate. No, he's already straight back into it. He's looking at the next season. He wants to keep this success going. And that is why you can actually see such a long and sustained success with the Patriots. Not just, you know, winning Super Bowls, but contending, making the championship game, making the playoffs, winning their division. It's because he's constantly looking to improve the team. He's not resting on his laurels. And I think it really says a lot about him as a coach. Oh, yeah, completely. It says everything about where his mind is. I'm just, I'm staggered that... He's already talking about that, and it's it wasn't even like 24 hours since they won the Lombardi, and he's coming out saying that. Um, the guy's a genius coach. He's probably the GOAT, as we discussed last week, and um, I can definitely see him winning another one or two Super Bowls before he hangs up hangs it up for, for good. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, though, because you think, like, surely you'd celebrate a little bit. Otherwise, what's the point of, you know, what's the point of winning it? If you're not going to celebrate it at all... I mean, I think he comes across as a pretty straight guy, but um, there was an interview that he had with Chris Berman after the game, and it was with Randy Moss, and he came across as like someone who I think gets almost like misportrayed in the media. He, he, he you often see him as a guy who provides one or two words. He's pretty pretty reserved, and after like that post game press conference um, with Chris Berman and Randy Moss, it was it was really quite. Um, interesting because I think he let his guard down a little bit and he was recalling some of the plays, the way that they designed everything. And um, he's definitely a genius. There's no doubt about oh, it. Oh, for sure. 
I think it's really cool though when you can see a little bit of another side of, of guys like that. You get to see them more, no doubt. You know, more as a person than than just this figure. Um, the coaches, but there's a lot of stuff that's that's come out in the aftermath of, of the Super Bowl week, and there's been a lot of them that I think we really need to talk about. Some of them more lighthearted than others. I want to start with the the Boston Globe. What are they doing? Oh yeah, mate, it's ridiculous. Um, I saw on on Twitter um, earlier earlier in the week that the Boston Globe, like they, like as per every newspaper, I guess they they put out their early edition for interstate interstate pickups or country and regional pickups and um they tw- uh, sent out this an early edition newspaper to people in florida and it, the headline was that the patriots had lost the super bowl and it had a nice big picture of tom brady um on on his knees um with the falcons celebrating in the background um how wrong were they mate oh, I, I mean you can you can hardly blame them at the the patriots really at half time didn't deserve to win that game. Even halfway through the it's, third it's quarter, ridiculous. they didn't deserve to win that game, and yet they did. So that, you can't really blame them. But oh, that's a cock up of the highest order, isn't it? Oh, completely. I mean, you're down 25 points in, late in the third quarter. You've got absolutely no hope. the The biggest Super Bowl comeback is what been about 10 points. Something like that. Um, yeah. So they they had their every right to do it, but it's just a ma- major monumental muck up. Yeah, it is. Oh, well, we get to enjoy it, have a bit of a chuckle at it. Um, hey, we got to we got to see a good Brady oh, advert. Hey, did we ever? I I think uh, that that's fantastic. For those of you that haven't seen it, Brady recorded an ad, and I can't remember exactly who it was for, but it was some sort of medical imaging service. So he was going in to get an X-ray. I, th- I think an MRI. MRI. An sorry, MRI yeah, MRI. Yeah. So he's he's you know they're saying okay, you need to take off all your metal, or your objects. And he's like, oh okay. So he's pulling off his Super Bowl rings, and they're like, yeah, just store it in here, and then. The lady that's looking after him is like, have you got any others? And he's like, oh, yeah, I've also got this one. And he pulls out the fifth ring for his thumb. And then the catch line at the end, roger that. Roger that. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> but the, the, like, the balls to do that before you've even played the game. Like, it was recorded before the game. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's, it's the troll of the Super Bowl. I mean, you, you talked about your slam dunk last week being um, pretty poor oh, with the ads. I mean, that, that, that was the best ad and it's a pity that it happened after the Super Bowl yeah. when not many people were watching it yeah. because it was just epic. It was. It was fantastic. And I love stuff like that that comes out where the players can have a bit of a laugh. Uh, and exactly. It. it makes them a little more human. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly now right. we see these people as $100 million superstars, but at the end of the day, they're, they're no more of a human than you and me. So Very true. They're just a lot better at football. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Um, Dunk, what do you what do you reckon about the the Patriots? Um, you got quite a few guys refusing to go to the White House. See this one. People this not one doesn't pretty happy with the Trump. It doesn't sit quite right with me. Um, I, I understand, you know, everybody's got their their political beliefs, and I'm not going to get into that here. It's not the time or the place. Yeah, it's um, a football show. But it's it's a tradition, man. I don't care who's in the White House. It's a tradition. You've just won what is the highest honour, essentially, in your sport, right? Mm. And it's been a tradition for as long as I can remember, and you're throwing that away because, you know, the person that you voted for isn't in the White House. Either you believe in democracy uh, or you don't, and if you do, you vote, and you stick to your tradition. It doesn't matter who the president is. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, if... if, 
if I voted for like the Liberal government or I voted for the Labor government in Australia and um, we won the AFL trophy and we got to meet the Prime Minister, like I wouldn't care what what no. um, political party it was. I'd be like, woohoo, I'm meeting Prime Minister. Well, it's not it's not about necessarily meeting the president or the prime minister it's about celebrating what you and your teammates just achieved and it's about doing it together as a team and if you're going to be the individual that goes you know what i don't want to do this because i don't like the president that doesn't reflect very well on on how much you respect your teammates and how much you respect what you just achieved together yeah you're isolating yourself from the team and um football is probably the biggest um team sport that there is going out there you really do need all all 53 guys on the roster plus your practice squad um you need them all working together and if if you're singling guys out i don't think it's the best look for those individuals in particular no it's it's really not but you know at the end of the day it's it's their decision uh i personally would still go but you know they'll do what they want to do yeah, definitely. Um, what what was your thought on Patricia's T-shirt that you saw on the plane? It was um, a bit of a mock to the Commissioner Goodell. It's another little one. There's lots of these little jabs at Goodell. Um, yeah. I, I look, it probably wasn't in the best taste. Um, no, it's one definitely of those, not. It's one of those things. Like, if you're behind closed doors and you're having a bit of a laugh with you, you guys in the locker room or in your building or whatever, that's fine. But, you know, you've just, as I said, you've just won the highest order... Oh, sorry, highest honour that your your team can win. Why don't we focus on the positives? Why don't we celebrate that a little bit more and and you know and and not do some of this more poor taste stuff? Yeah, I think I think it was just in bad spirits, really. I mean, like it, like you said, it's fine to be a knucklehead behind the closed doors, but you know, more or less, y- you're representing the league and you're taking a jab at a guy who has changed he's what in the last 10 years uh, Goodell has doubled the revenue um for the NFL it's something close to 16 billion dollars a year now um and they're projected to eventually in the next like 10 to 15 years raise that to 25 billion under under Goodell's tenure now you, you compare that to what other other um, commissioners in professional sports are doing and it's uncomparable and yep. okay Goodell is not perfect. I'm not saying he is. I think he's got a lot of faults. Um, but you really shouldn't be taking such a public swipe at him, especially one that is such just foul and, yeah. No, and, and the thing that really got me, the thing that really got me, um, Matt Patricia doesn't have the history with Goodell that Brady does, right? Brady was the guy that got suspended. Brady's been the focal point of all of this. He's taken a, a, a very, very subtle jab at him with one line in that advert. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's a completely different thing because they've got that history, you know, it, it's been about Brady. All the focus has been about Brady. There's been no, like, bad blood between Matt Patricia and Roger Goodell. So it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a different scenario as well. I think what it suggests is that the whole Patriots team felt slighted at the fact that Brady has been given such a hard time over the past, what, two years or so. Um, and they, they probably have used it as certainly bulletin board material or they put it on the whiteboard pre-game going up, going up for the big ones. Yeah, so I will, everyone's looking for that little bit of extra edge and um, Goodell certainly gave it to him with the flake gate, that's for sure. For sure. Now, there's one more little little point that I want to talk about in the Super Bowl 51 aftermath. I saw an yeah, article sure. today that came out that said, uh, it was an interview with Brady, and he said that uh-huh. he's feeling 100%. He's in no pain, no nothing, not sore. After the Super Bowl, he's ready to go for next year. 
What do you think we can expect from him? Well, I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, the, fa- the idea that he's um, feeling 100% has got to be BS because no one's, no one's 100% at this time Particularly with the number of shots he took in that game. Yeah, yeah, he's he's probably high on just um, oh, what's what, endorphins. endorphins right now, yeah. you know. So he, he's probably feeling feeling um, a million bucks or a hundred million bucks. <laughs> but yeah, r- realistically, um, there's no reason why he can't repeat what he's done this year in 2017. Um, I think you, you've you've got a guy who's 31. His arm strength is still there. He's as cerebral as ever. He's got the same supporting cast in terms of Belichick still there. Josh McDaniels is a perfect fit for him. Um, they've got Edelman still coming back. Their, their running game, I'm not sure. It's a bit up in the air. Garrett Blunt's a free agent going forward. So I think there's going to be a few teams that will try to poach him there. But um, we're forgetting a big guy, um, a guy called oh. Gronkowski. And, and he's coming back next year, and I guarantee that they're going to want to get a ring for Gronk. Oh, mate, so, he, we, that's something you're right. I don't think people have fully appreciated how little time he was actually involved. Like, he was out injured for a lot of the season and all of the postseason. Well, it's not often, like, for, you, you look at a guy like um, Larry Fitzgerald. Imagine if Kurt Warner, um, like, back back in the day, lost Larry Fitzgerald. Do you reckon the, um, the Packers, the Cardinals are going into the nope. Super Bowl, of course? No chance. Definitely not. Yeah, um, and, and you look at you look at Rodgers, like, a guy like Jordy Nelson goes down, and um, Rodgers is able to still keep going, like Randall Cobb, yep. Scott Devontae Adams, but... Um, Going forward, I think it was pretty amazing for Brady to lead the team, and he's doing it with a, a substandard supporting cast, like we discussed yep. last week. Um, Atlanta's supporting crew was just unreal. So, Brady in a dome stadium um, with the fa- with the Falcons supporting cast, he'd be putting oh. up fifty five, maybe even six thousand yards passing. I don't even no want doubt. to think about it, mate. That'd be insane. Yeah, it'd be the greatest show on turf, part two. Oh. The, the upgraded and better version of the greater show and turf. Oh, yes, but I'm, 2.0. I'm also nervous that... I mean, I say nervous. I'm a Colts fan. I don't like the Patriots succeeding. But I am I have this <laughs> this vision that Bill Belichick is going to work his magic again and the Patriots are going to have a fantastic draft and I think they're going to be even better than they were this year and that really worries me. Won't surprise me at all. I mean, like, as a Raider fan, ever since the Tuck rule back in 2001, <laughs> um, I've definitely... Um, not had very nice things to say about the Patriots, but they're they're a class organization, and they're going to be up there as long as Belichick and Brady are together. And no no one can really say otherwise. I mean, if they trade Jimmy Garoppolo for, uh, it could be a first round pick. I don't know. Um, I don't they, know. They get another another nice talent to add to their pieces, and um, they they're going to keep going. So can we just stop and talk about Garoppolo just for a second? There, I mean, there's a lot yeah, of teams sure. around the league who. You know, they're in need of a quarterback. Uh, and this year's draft class, is it's not got as much talent as we've seen in the past. Not as many elite guys. There's kind of like this pack yeah, of, definitely. Of, of good quarterbacks, but not that real elite franchise guy. So let's start with, what do you think Garoppolo's value actually is? I think you have to take it one step back, really. You look at the draft... Um, too often these days, especially GMs, they are pulling the trigger early on quarterbacks who are not worth a first-round pick. So like, I could go back a few years. You've got guys like EJ Manuel, yep. Christian Ponder, yep. those like even Jamarcus Russell. He he was not worth the first pick in the draft. He was going into the draft and he was a second rounder. Then has an amazing Sugar Bowl, and all of a sudden he's the number one pick. 
Um, so you've got guys that are being overprojected because teams really that they need a quarterback, and um, so that that's the reason there. So you've got a guy who's been in the NFL for three years in Garoppolo. He's been in one of the best and most stable systems. And what you can do is you can pay a first round pick to get get that guy who's already been in the system for a few years, as opposed to getting someone who's under like a rookie, someone like, I don't know, Mitch Trubisky, maybe Deshaun Watson. So you're getting one of those. Would you rather have them and be able to mold them to your wishes? Or would you rather have Jimmy Garoppolo, who's been in a system already, and then trying to adapt your system around him? Me personally, I I think the best way that you're going to have to do it is if you were to acquire Garoppolo, you'd need to bring the system with him. So I think uh, Lewis Riddick on Mike and Mike, he had a guest interview about a week or so ago, and he said, he said at best, he said the only way that Garoppolo is going to like maximize his um, production in the NFL would be if you traded, traded for him and you brought the system with him. Yep. So in essence, you bring Josh, Josh McDaniels with him. Exactly. So, I personally, uh, if I was the 49ers, I would have made Lewis Riddick the general manager. I think he was the right decision. And then you go down the line, you bring McDaniels, you trade, you, I, I don't know, maybe a number two pick with the 49ers yep. have. I think you try to trade down to maybe the... Get a late like the, first rounder yeah, and trade that. a late first pick, yeah, exactly, and then trade that for Garoppolo. Yep. I mean, we're going to get into some more detail later on about um, staffing appointments and such. For me, yeah. I look at Garoppolo as a guy who, as you say, he's been in a really good situation. He spent years behind arguably the best mentor in the league in Tom Brady. He's had a great system. He's worked with Bill Belichick. He's had Josh McDaniels. I haven't seen enough to pin my franchise hopes on him. He's, oh, no, he's the kind of guy that strikes me as, okay, if I'm the Cleveland Browns, right? Let's just take them because they need a quarterback. If I'm the <laughs> Cleveland Browns, I'm not trading the first overall pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. No way in hell. We need talent oh, too no, badly. No. That, that's, that's not happening. No. Miles Garrett's too good a prospect. Exactly right. But, We've got other picks in the first round. We've got plenty of picks in the draft. I'm not even trading. I think it's 12 the Browns have. Yeah, they've got pick number 12. Yeah, I'm not trading 12 for Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm probably not even trading a second rounder for Jimmy Garoppolo. To be honest with you, I see Jimmy Garoppolo as the type of guy who's going to fill a hole for you and be serviceable until you get to the draft and the year where there is elite talent at quarterback, and that's where you jump and take your franchise guy. If you look at what Garoppolo's done, he's only featured in a handful of games, and he's looked quite good in those games. I'm not going to take that away from him. But if you look at games in isolation, anybody's good. Josh McCown was good for the Browns like two years ago in a small isolation of games. Exactly. Well, do you remember when Matt Flynn went and like, went ham and threw for like 500, 500 yards, yards passing yeah. six touchdowns as a backup? And he was the next came franchise in for one guy. Game. Well, yeah, he got a ripper deal from the Seahawks. He got a three-year, something like $21 million deal, gets cut. Uh, no, he doesn't get cut. He actually gets traded to the Raiders for like something like a fifth-round pick. And um, they cut him after something like he, he barely played four games. Exactly. But that's the same sort of situation. You, know, you take the Seahawks, they sign Flynn. Sure, they may have overpaid for him. I'm not going to take that. You know, like We're not going to disturb that. But then they, they, they had him fill a gap, and now they've got Russell Wilson, who is a franchise quarterback. So it's that sort of situation that I think Jimmy Garoppolo falls into. But I can see some team that's in desperate need of a quarterback is going to reach for him. Well, how, how many quarterbacks do you see get traded actually turn out to be good players? I Very mean, in the, last, in the last decade, how many have we seen? We've probably seen maybe Matt Schaub from the Falcons yep. 
to Houston. Yep. I can't think of many more that have been traded. We've seen a few in free agency, like Drew Brees moved from San Diego to New Orleans, yep. and he only really moved because they drafted Philip Rivers and because um, there were a lot of doubts on Brees' shoulder. But apart from that, in terms of trading players, um, I can't think of any others apart from Shaw. Was RG3 traded or did he just get cut? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Oh, there's another one possibly. But you're right. I mean, the, the point is, a team's not going to trade a franchise quarterback, even if he's a backup, right? The, no, the he Patriots... was cut. RG3, RG3 was, cut. was cut. RG3... Okay. Yeah, RG3 was cut from the, okay. the Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a team's not going to trade a guy that's a franchise talent, right? Even if Brady, you know, if, if Garoppolo is a franchise quarterback and that's what, his, holding on. what his ability is, you're holding on to him. Brady's yeah. maybe got two more years, right? Even if you're overpaying Garoppolo to sit on the bench, keep him. Wait till Brady's gone. Then you've got a guy who's ready-made. He already knows your system and your organization inside out, right? Yeah, and McDaniels isn't going anywhere. Correct. He'll probably be the head coach once Belichick retires. Exactly right. So if, if Garoppolo really is as good as people say they, that he is, the Patriots aren't trading him. It's as simple as that. Then the question comes down to once he hits free agency... Uh, is he going to get paid? Well, is someone going to offer him that ridiculous deal? So it, it really is a balancing act. That's another question. And again, it comes in as well. Does Garoppolo want to sit on the bench for another two, three years behind Tom Brady? I mean, if there's a guy you're going to sit behind, Brady's probably not a bad one. But, you know, if, if Garoppolo thinks he's a franchise-level talent, he's not going to want to sit behind Brady. No, definitely not. Dunk, I reckon it's time to start talking a bit about the Hall of Fame class of 2017. What do you reckon about the class, mate? Mate, it's, it's a stacked class, but I mean, it's the Hall of Fame. It's always going to be stacked. Um, yeah. There's a couple that, that really stand out for me, and so I'm going to start with one of my favourite players of all time, LaDainian Tomlinson. Absolute LT. no-brainer. LT, just an absolute elite talent all the way through. Uh, clear superstar of the game. You know, he's, he's a five-time pro bowler. Uh, three-time AP first-team All-Pro. He's an NFL MVP as a running back, which is tough to do. You know, he, he holds the record for the most touchdowns on a season. I think it's 20, 28? 28? Yeah, 28, yep. correct. Yep, uh, in 2006. Yep, uh, just an absolute gun of a player. There's, there's no other way to describe him, really. He's, he was always earmarked as a Hall of Famer, and it's it's good to finally see him in there. Yeah, um, a transcendent talent for sure. I mean, he had a true nose for the end zone. Um, he hit the hit the pay to 145 rushing touchdowns. I mean, that's second all-time to Emmett Smith, and we all know how great a running yep. back Emmett Smith was. Yep. Um, the biggest thing that I found about LT watching him was he was a true number one back, so he was your cowbell. He could carry it 20, 25 times a game, but he was also a dual threat out the backfield. And when you've got those kind of guys... You, you just don't let them go, yep. and it's really, they're quite rare these days. I mean, you've got Adrian Peterson set the world alight for a decade or so, but I still don't think he's in the same league. Well, he's not, LT. and you know why he's not? Because he can't catch the ball. Exactly. He's, he's been the there. hallmark of that Vikings offense for as long as I can remember now. But he can't catch yeah, the ball I, out of the backfield. Everything is designed to giving him the ball and letting him do what he's good at. LT can yeah, do it all. I, I can't actually think of like many two-way two-way dual threat running backs in the league anymore. No, there, there really aren't that many. 
yeah, you sort of have a by committee system where you've got your cowbell, but then you've got guys like your scat back Darren Sproles type yep. that come out and try to try to get on a linebacker and isolate them like that. Yep. Um, I saw LT back in 2007 at the Oakland Coliseum, and like his speed is amazing. But what's really noticeable is that turn of foot that he has. I remember there was one play where. Like the D, the D had him contained on the edge. It looked like he was going to be stuffed for no gain, and all of a sudden he turns on the Jets, just makes one cut, and he's turned it into an eight-yard gain. And I remember everyone around us were like, "How did LT do that? Just turn something into nothing." Sorry. Exactly. Something out of nothing. So, exactly. Um, let's let's go to another running back. It's uh, the first time in quite quite a while that we've had two running backs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, TD. Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis. Yeah. Um, Terrell Davis. I mean, look, not quite the same as LT in the sense that LT did it for an extended period of time. He was at the top of his game for a long time. Terrell Davis was only really at the top of his game for maybe four or five years. But when he was at the top of his game, man, he was scary. This guy, Super Bowl MVP, League MVP in 1998, three-time pro bowler. I mean, there's not a lot more you can do as a running back, really. Yeah, very uh, a, a real gun player. Um, I th- I think it, it anyone looking at the numbers suggests okay, well his numbers aren't even comparable to LT really. But is anybody's? Um, I mean Emmett Smith no. maybe, but no, I completely agree. But I think when you look at it, he, when he was on the field, he was a superstar, and he wasn't just a superstar by like a little way. It was it was a considerable gap between him yep. and the next best player on the field. And if you if you look at a like a guy like Gail Sayers back in like the forties when running backs were all, all there were yep. in the league, Gail Sayers was only around for about four or five years. He's a um, in the Hall of Fame now, and many regard him as the best running back of all time. So I don't think the short career should be a slight at TD at all. No, that's that's a fair call. I want to take a little bit of different tack. So we've been talking about running backs. Let's go completely the opposite direction. Owners. Jerry Jones in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Jerry, uh, look, this is a guy who is all about the money. Yep. Um, he bought the Cowboys in '89 for a little over 140 million or thereabouts. And if you look at the valuation of the Cowboys now, just last year Forbes valued it at over four billion dollars. I mean, it's crazy. It's the first. It's it's the first four billion dollar sports franchise in the world. So they're the richest team in all of professional sports not just not just american football i mean they're america's uh, team aren't they you kind of expect that exactly they're the star for a reason number one <laughs> um i feel like he's kind of created this aura around the cowboys i mean the cowboys have been good for a long time now you go back to you know tom landry days and and through when troy aikman was quarterback They've been good, but they've almost got this aura about them now where you either love them or you hate them, but a lot of people really seem to love them. I think Jerry Jones has a lot to do with that. I think people can really see the amount of passion that he's got for this franchise and for this team, and they kind of yeah. they feed off of his passion for the team. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, the, the guy, he's ballsy. I mean, to fire to fire Tom Landry, like pretty much straight up. One of the and then one to of bring the in, best coaches of all time. Exactly, and then he brings in Jimmy Johnson. Oh, he just casually goes and wins two Super Bowls. As and then, you do. Then another one in '95. So he's winning three Super Bowls just six years having been the owner. He's on a pretty good wicket. He's probably thinking um, this but, owning ownership gig's pretty straightforward. Why are you guys struggling with it? 
yeah, he, he can get used to this, yeah. but I, I don't really think that the Super Bowls are actually his biggest achievement. Um, let's talk a bit about Jerry's World, hey? Like <laughs> that big, massive, billion-dollar stadium in Arlington. Uh, the things you can do if you've got money, huh? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the stadium, it's it's like an... It's its own beast. It's its own, yeah. like, mystical creature that Jerry has constructed. Um, you know, it's it's... It's just insane how good this stadium actually is, but it's really he's he's kind of been the figurehead and like it's it's the flagship stadium of the NFL now and it's been the model that people are now sort of looking at and going that's what we want that's what we want our stadium to look like that's what we want it to be like and I think that's a really big achievement in and of itself and it's not one that a lot of people are really going to have an appreciation for. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, you look at um, the way that he brought football back to LA, there was the Inglewood um, Stadium run by Kroenke, and then you had the Carson Project, which was Mark Davis and Dean Spanos. And all, all reports leading up um, to the, the event said, okay, it was about 50-50, but um, Jerry Jerry turned all the votes in a, into a 32 favour. Um you think owners in the NFL, and the first guy that you think of is Jerry Jones. Yep. It's, it's that simple. I mean, half, half the people that follow the NFL would maybe be able to name the owner of their own team, Jerry, yeah. Jerry Jones, and maybe Robert Kraft, and beyond that, they're clutching at straws. Yeah, not many apart from that. Jer- Jerry Jones is definitely the biggest name in um, owners ownerships for sports right now. For sure. Uh, All right, let's, yeah. let's move on again. Uh, let's look at quarterbacks. Kurt Warner. Quarterback of the okay. greatest show on turf. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of torn about Has he Warner, done it you enough? know. I, I'm not convinced, you know. I looked up his stats and he only had six seasons where he was over 20 touchdown passes. And I know the game was different back in the early 2000s and going up even just five, six years ago when Warner led the, the Cardinals to a Super Bowl. But I'm not sure that six seasons over just 20 touchdown passes on more is really enough. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks who have sort of like reached those numbers. And um, then like, if you're going to say that, well, then let's look at the greatest show on turf. And really, how good was it for, what, two two seasons? Yep. They, they were amazing for two seasons? Sure, th- those numbers are skyrocketly, ridiculously amazing. But he had a gap of what half a dozen years where he was largely irrelevant didn't play many games and he was really a bit of a backup yeah look this one's a bit of a tough one for me um i've got a lot of respect for kurt warner uh, i absolutely love him as a guy i think he's you know since he's he's left the game he's gone into analysis and commentary and i think he's doing a pretty good job there um yeah. and when he was a player Very bright mind. i really enjoyed watching him play is he all of fame worthy ah oh, i'm really not sure as you say, you know, he had the, the two seasons as the greatest show on turf. But he had that run of like six or seven years of just basically irrelevance. Like he took the yeah. Cardinals to a Super Bowl but didn't win it. I, I, no. I'm really struggling. You know, you look at the guys like Brady who's got five rings. Manning's got two but set a whole bunch of records in the league. You know, he was in this same sort of era, maybe a little, obviously a little bit before then, but they were all playing at the same time. And he didn't ever really destabilize that, apart from the greatest show on turf. No, I, I dare I say that one of the reasons he may have gotten in was because he has that such a great guy attitude. And I don't want to 
slight Warner at all in terms of his abilities as a quarterback because he was a very good quarterback. But you compare him to the best, the true elites of that that era, and I don't it's think no he brainer. matches up. No, it's it's really not a competition. But look, am I upset with him being in the Hall of Fame? I'm going to say no. Would I have you know been gunning for it? I'm probably saying no to that as well. Yeah, I'd agree there. So, Dunk, I reckon it's time that we switched over to the other side of the ball. Um, what are your thoughts on Jason Taylor? Look, it's a name that a lot of people, unless you follow the league closely, or you're a Miami Dolphins fan, you probably don't even really know the guy. But this guy, I, I personally think, really deserves to be there. He was an elite talent, but doesn't really have that real name recognition. This is a guy, you look at his stats, over his career... 139 and a half sacks. That's insane. Two-time AFC Defensive Player of the Year. He was the Defensive Player of the Year in 2006, specifically. He's a six-time Pro Bowler, three-time AP First Team All-Pro. What more can you do as a defensive guy? Like, I don't know. As I said, unless you're a Dolphins fan, you probably don't have an appreciation for him. But for me, 100% deserves to be there. I'm thinking if there's a guy that's um, almost undervalued, it's probably him. Yep. Um, you know, like he's not—he's not the name, like you say, but it's probably because the Dolphins were so largely overshadowed by Tom Brady and the Patriots in the AFC. Wasn't East. everyone? Like those, yeah, exactly. So those early two thousands, it was all about the Patriots, mm. and that made pretty much everyone in the AFC uh, AFC East relatively irrelevant for those like 10 years and I mean I mean you think about it when when did Dan Marino retire he retired only a little um a little bit before I think it was yeah a little bit before so really the Dolphins didn't really have much of a team that they were building around but Taylor was just a superstar absolutely 100 percent all right so let's let's move away from Jason Taylor now let's look at another guy on the defensive side of the ball he's a little bit before our time but Kenny Easley what do you reckon Look, he is before our time. He was a guy who played in the 80s. Um, he didn't play for many years. He only played for about six or seven years. But during that time, he made the Pro Bowl a ridiculous number five times. Yep. And he was a four-time AP first-team All-Pro. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, he was also the Defensive Player of the Year in 84. So there's no doubt the guy was a superstar. Um, everything that I've read about him said that he was almost like a cross between L. Thomas and Cam Chancellor. So you oh. kind of put those two you put those two together Jeez. and you're gonna have a hell of a safety. That's a hell of a hybrid. Exactly. So on field there's no issues. The guys the guys are um, a lock for the Hall of Fame. But off the field a, a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um the, the, he was the Seahawks player rep during the eighty seven strike. Oh during the strike, and, um, right. Yeah, so he was quite a key figure in that and a few players continued to play when the replacements were called in and he publicly called them out on it and he received like a really lot of flack about it. I mean, it's an interesting discussion point that how much does your either your off-field antics or your character, I guess, feed into the decision-making of whether or not you should be in the Hall of Fame. We're going to come to that in a little bit. But as you say, Kenny Easley, absolute superstar. Doesn't matter what era you're playing in. If you're the best defensive player in the league, you're obviously pretty good. Um, So from what I know of him, I think he deserves to be there. So let's move on again. And Nads, the kickers in the league, they really don't get enough love. I mean, 
I love the kickers. You got to give them the credit for what they do. It's really hard to be a kicker. Let's let's not sugarcoat it. It's really. Hey, difficult. you've got one job. Yeah, you've but got it's one job. it's a bloody hard job. Uh, oh yeah, if you, if you screw it up, you're you're gonna you're gonna be remembered uh, as the the one who lost you the game. Yeah, and then you're getting cut on Monday. Um, yep. So well, we've got a kicker in the Hall of Fame, Morton Anderson. What are your thoughts? Look, this is a guy that lasted 25 years in the league. Talk like, about longevity. That, that, I'm not even 25 years old, you know. So that's, that's putting uh, Adam Vinatieri to shame. Jeez. Exactly, it's crazy. And his overall strike rate was uh, it was just under 80. percent So on the surface, it looks great. He he had like some great numbers in terms of the length of his kicks. He kicked a lot in a dome, so he was able to get yep. extra length. So there were a few times where he did cross 60 yards in terms yeah, right. of the made field goals. So. He had a few of 60, he had a few of 59, but I think the biggest the biggest knock I have him have him at is that from 1991 through the rest of his career which was another 15 years or so, he was under under 50% when he was kicking from 50 yards or more. Wow. Now, that it's 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 not a glowing endorsement. No, particularly over that long of a period of time. I can understand it if it's like, you know, maybe the last three or four years, your leg's not what it exactly. used to be. But for 15 years, this guy kept playing 50%, you reckon? Sub 50%, sorry. Yeah, sub 50%. And he, he probably got in because he was in the league for so long. I mean, if you're in the league for 25 years, you've got, you got to be a half-decent player. Well, that's true. I mean, or, or or you're just a half decent bloke. Which, um, just, I, I think we need we need to start talking about a bit of character. Because, um, what are your thoughts on the biggest snub? Well, there's a couple of big snubs from from my point of view, and the, the first one that people are going to talk about, and I think we need to talk about, To, Terrell Owens. I mean, he changed one, the game. One of the greats. He changed the game as a wide receiver. At his Peak, uncoverable. Single-handedly yeah. would just destroy defenses. Absolute yeah, if, elite if, if, talent. If, yeah, if you weren't playing with um, Brandy Moss on Madden, you certainly were, were playing with T.O. And so. I, I still love, uh, you know, the Chad Ochocinco T.O. link-up. There was something about it that it just, it was awesome. Even if they didn't really yeah. deliver, you know, to the lofty standards that everybody had hoped. There's just something awesome about those two being together and being on the same team. It just made it really entertaining. But doesn't make it into the Hall of Fame, Nats. I think um, in terms of his on-field like, statistics, what he was able to do, a transcendent talent. There's, there, there's no doubt about it. But you got to consider that every every place that he played in there were issues in San Francisco. He left. He he found issues there. Then he goes to Philadelphia, and he he's with Donovan McNabb for just uh, two seasons. It was, and in that time, McNabb later went to say that he thought the Eagles were a better team without To, and right. that was just after they had made the Super Bowl. So. You've got this is your quarterback, your franchise guy saying about your number Jeez. one receiver that he's that, that your team's going to be better off without him. Yeah, it, it's not such a glowing endorsement. And then he goes to the Cowboys, and he, he he's losing losing the plot over like Tony Romo. That's my quarterback, man. <laughs> you, you know, so it it was too much drama. 
um, way too way too much drama for like even for a diva that that the wide mm. receivers can be. I know that they can like like to dramatize and Do make things ever. a little over the top, but this was a guy that took it to the extreme. He pissed off a lot of reporters, made enemies with them, and. You know, those guys are the very people that you need to be... You, you don't necessarily need to be mates with, but you don't want to cross them because they're the ones that are voting you in for the freaking Hall of Fame in the first place. Yep. So you've pissed them off for 10 years and then you go, oh, by the way, can you do me a favour? <laughs> Just do me a solid. Just chuck me into yeah. Canton, please. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even now, you see what he's tweeting. He He's tweeting all these complaints. Oh, I didn't get in. I didn't get in. Like, poor me, poor me. Well... You know, you're not you're not making it any better for yourself. You're only right. making yourself look to be even worse, and it's just cementing what everyone has thought about you. Yeah, look, I mean, I see a lot of merit to where you're coming from there. The issue that I've got is that this is the the pro pro football hall of fame, right? Yes, Tio had character problems. There's no doubt about that. And look, if he was playing in the league right now, he's probably getting a flag every time he plays because he's not allowed to celebrate. But Personal foul, number 80. Number 81. I think when you're talking about Hall of Fame guys, you've got to give a lot more weight to what they did on the field, right? As we've said... Oh, I agree, I agree. He probably should be in the Hall of Fame based on his numbers, but there's certainly an axe to grind with him. Um, I think he's going to get in eventually. It's not a matter of... It'll be a shame if he doesn't, and it'll be something really wrong with the process if he doesn't. (gasps) Well, it's interesting you mentioned the process because he wasn't even one of the top ten out of the fifteen finalists. So he's got a he's got quite a ways to go. And I mean, Randy Moss is I'm pretty sure he's eligible for the for the Hall of Fame this year. So there might be another guy that goes yeah, ahead of him in wait. the pecking order. He might have to wait a while. Look, we've seen guys um, who are very successful not not make the Pro Football Hall of Fame for whatever reason. Um, You've got a guy like Cliff Branch, who yeah. back in the, the 70s and the 80s, he was a wide receiver for the Raiders. He won three Super Bowl rings and was their number one um, speed threat, changed the um, the vertical game. And he's not he's not even considered as a um, for a spot. Um, it took how many years for Tim Brown to make it? Um, you, you, wide receivers are really funny position because there are so many divas out there. Yeah, um, it, it is probably it, one of the positions with the most divas. But I mean, as oh, I said, I don't care how big of a diva To was; he's one of the best wide receivers to play the game ever. Full stop. End of discussion. You think he gets in in the next five years? I think I don't think he gets in next year. Um, I think you're right. I think Randy Moss is going to jump ahead of him. But mm. I'd be surprised if he doesn't make it in the next five. Maybe maybe not for the next two or three. But there's going to come a time where, you know, the backlash to him not getting in, they're just going to go, all right, let's, let's let this guy in. We've, we've, had our, we've made our point. You know, we've denied him for a few years. Now let's, let's let him in. I think it's going to be really crucial that he gets in in the next, like, three or four years because after that you're going to have someone like Steve Smith. Larry Fitzgerald is retired. Like, he's going to retire in probably this is going to be his last season. Um, so if he doesn't, he's, he's probably got a two or three, no, a four-year four window where he really needs to take take um, next. take yeah. advantage of that. Yeah, and I think uh, he will. If, I think he will. Within that yeah. four or five years, I think he will. 
Yeah, but if he doesn't, he could be waiting quite a few more. Yeah, exactly right. Now, there's one other big snub that I want to talk about. And sure? it's another position that it's it's really tough to grade people. Um, you know, you look at, at defensive players, you can look at picks for DBs, you can look at sacks for, uh, for pass rushes. How do you grade... An offensive lineman statistically, it's it's almost impossible, particularly for some of the older guys. Um, you know, nowadays they keep tracks like how many you know how many pressures did you give up, how many sacks did yeah. you give up. But if you're a, a guy that's played you know earlier than let's say let's say 2000, 2000 or before, you're really really struggling for stats. So for me. There was a big snub, and that was Tony Baselli. So for those of you that don't know Tony Baselli, Tony Baselli is the second pick of the 95 NFL draft, first ever draft pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's an offensive lineman. Uh, he played his whole career in Jacksonville and then got traded to Houston but never played a game for Houston. But he had a short career. He only played, I think, six or seven years? No, maybe eight. It, it was it was not not that many. But in yeah, that, not many at all. In that time, so let, let's say, let's say for argument's sake, it was eight years. In that time, he's a Pro Bowler five times. Five-time Pro Bowler out of eight years. He's a three-time first-team All-Pro in that time. He's in the NFL 1990s All-Decade team at offensive line. This is a guy. What more can he do? Uh, not play for the Jaguars. <laughs> yeah. If, if 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 he didn't play for the Jaguars and actually played for like. Um, a team that wasn't an expansion team, uh, he'd be a lot. There's, there's no doubt about it. Do you think he gets in eventually? Um, oh, well, you know, that's a that's a big call. I think definitely maybe in the next like five five years or so. Um, I don't think that he's going to be on top of the on top of the waiting list though. No, I think he might be he might be waiting a little while. It does annoy yeah. me a little bit because he was a very very good offensive lineman and as I said there's just there's not the numbers really that you can look at and people who don't know him or didn't see him play they can't just look at him and go oh he had 150 sacks he must have been good. Yeah, precisely. And um I can't help but thinking had he not been injured um you're probably looking at a guy that's um, oh, he'd probably be similar to someone like Joe Thomas. Yeah, because stuck on the Browns, know, but everybody rates yeah. him as a left tackle. Exactly, and I'd be surprised um, when Joe Thomas retires if he doesn't make the Hall of Fame. Yep, yep, I think you're onto something there. All right, well that wraps up all of the Hall of Fame picks. Uh, let's move on now. Let's let's look at a little bit of some of the social media happenings around the league, shall we? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Duncan. Um, for for the show, I think every week it would be really good to have a, a social media love and a social media hate. So, what did you really like love this week on social media that was NFL related? So, I mean, it's Valentine's Day this week, mate, and it's really good that we're going to have a social media love because I think it really fits oh. in with the theme. But love is in the isn't air, isn't it? My just friend? but for me, I thought you know. Social media these days, it's a really powerful tool to connect with people, but it can be really good or it can be really bad. And the way you use it really defines how you are as a person. And Martellus Bennett this week, for those of you that don't follow Martellus Bennett on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at Martasaurus Rex. He went on a, a little mini rant, but 
it was the way that he worded it and the way he constructed it. So I'm going to read a little excerpt of this rant. He's talking about social oppression. So he said, and I quote, Social oppression, when the ways of others diminish who we are, they stop us from pursuing our own dreams. We must defeat social oppression. No longer can they cage our spirits, minimize our potential, or force us to forfeit our individuality. Take back your personal freedom and be yourself again. The more we are true to ourselves, the more we will be able to connect to the world. No one likes movies with bad actors. It's not believable. And I think the message that he's sending here is a really, really good one. And it's a really, really good example of a, an NFL athlete using social media for the right reasons, to send the right message and to connect with his, his fans. Um, but he's not going about it in the wrong way. You know, he's not turning it into this like really aggressive rant. He's using it, he's, he's conveying his opinion in a positive way with a positive message. And I think it's a really good reflection on Bennett as a person. And uh, that was my social media love for the week. Yeah, Dunk, I reckon it's great. Um, Bennett's uh, quite a, an interesting um, character in the league. And if you look at his brother as well, his brother's Michael Bennett, uh, who's the defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks. And he's quite a... Um, an outspoken character as well. Yep. So there's there's certainly something something in the Bennett family, that's for sure. Of course. All right, Nads, have it on me. Hit me with your hate of the week. Oh, Alden Smith. The, 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 guy, the guy just can't seem to stay out of his oh. own way, you know. I, I, I want to take you back a little bit. So uh, Alden's been out of the league since about November 2015, and... He was suspended indefinitely by the NFL. The idea was that he was going to come back in 12 months. And so 12 months came and went, and so did the suspension. It just kept going and going, and they sort of they deferred it for uh, until pretty much March. Ian Rappaport tweeted um, just a week or so ago that Alden was going he, he to come um, back into the league in March. And that day, Alden Smith posts on Instagram Live a video chat, and it appeared to be at a bar. I mean, the guy currently has a DUI case before the courts. What? Like, what are you thinking? It's 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 just a a complete bonehead move that only Alden Smith would do. He he legitimately um, needs somebody to hold his hand for like oh, the entirety of his life, except when he's on a football field. Exactly. You know, it's funny that you say that because um, when he first joined the Raiders, the Raiders said, okay, you need to get your act together and we're going to support you. You Obviously, you have a few issues, but your talent's worth supporting. And so what they did was they pretty much had a minder with him almost 24-7. It wasn't quite 24-7, but right. that... No, they knew more or less where Alden Smith was. He's a grown 100% man, Nads. He's a grown man. Hey, I, I, I know he's a grown man, but he certainly doesn't have the mind of a grown man. So, I mean, he still manages to get him get himself into trouble when he really like he just needs to stay on the state and straight and narrow and look after himself, and he'd be all right. Mm-hmm. But now it get. It, it gets better. It gets worse. You know, just I think. today, it gets just, worse. Oh yeah, probably. You know, just today, um, TMZ broke the news that the San Francisco Police Department attended a, a dispute at Alden Smith's uh, home in San Francisco. Now, no, no arrests or charges have been laid, but this is not a good look, mate. 
you know, um, how much more trouble can this guy get into? He's He's been arrested multiple times. He's had multiple incidents where the police have had to come and investigate. And okay, um, it's been acknowledged by the police department that he's cooperating with them. And okay, no arrests have been filed. But uh, man, he just can't get out of his own way. He really can't. And I'm... Um got a big slam dunk in store and it's just on this topic so I'm not going to go into too much detail I'm bottling it up and we're going to let it loose at the end but you're right it just it's one of those situations where somebody with so much talent is just throwing it away with stupidity exactly and you know like in true olden fashion apparently he went on Instagram live today after the TMZ news broke and he said ah oh, haha wasn't me so the, the, the guys are, the guys are full oh man the guys are full well um, at least we get to laugh at him and his stupidity for many years yeah. to come oh well, I don't I don't think he's going to be in the league for many years to come that's for sure doesn't mean he won't make headlines <laughs> no too true <laughs> Alright Nads, I'm very excited. We've got a new segment this week, mate. Uh, we're calling it Hashtag Ask Nads and hopefully it's going to be a recurring segment. And for those of you listening, uh, what we're going to do is every week we are looking for questions on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, on social media that you can fire in. It can be about anything you want NFL related uh, and we're going to pick the best ones and we're going to talk about them a little bit on the show. So we've picked three for this week. Uh, And we're going to start with the first question. It comes from Zach in Adelaide. uh, And he asked, Nads, what are your thoughts on the Colts stealing signs during the Tony Dungy era? First off, thank you very much, Zach, for asking a great question. Um, Really, if you look at the Colts stealing signs during the era of Tony Dungy, um, I think it's a bit of a much ado about nothing. I don't don't really see it as much of an issue at all. You've got like teams are analyzing game tape left, right and center and they they analyze the audibles made on the field and it's why you've got a guy like Peyton Manning and his Omaha, Omaha line. Uh, That line call is revered because no one has ever really worked out what it's actually meant. Does Peyton even know? Does Peyton know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm not even sure he knew it half the time. Um, it seems like he changed it every week. And if you've got a quarterback or you've got a team that are having their signs to be continuous throughout a whole season, well, teams are going to figure it out. And if they figure it out, credit to you. It's not as if they went behind behind closed doors and did a spy gate and filmed, yeah. filmed, filmed these signs like um, in training or anything like that. If you're getting the signs during the games when it's open to anyone that's watching the game at this stadium, like they can just have a set of binoculars and watch it, well, credit to you. Um, and if you're in the NFL, you really are fighting for every inch, and that inch can can be the difference between winning and losing. So I, I, I credit Dungy for, for putting it all together. I, don't, I certainly don't think they're the only team that um, no. has done this. No way. And I, I think, like you said, it, it's you know watching game tape, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same as, you know, defensive linemen keying in on the cadence of a quarterback over the game. It's just a different type of studying your opposition uh, and trying to exploit it. So thank you, Zach, for your question. Uh, moving on to question number two this week, Nads. It actually came in today. So really fresh question. Uh, it's good timing. Yeah, it's from Dylan in Brisbane. Uh, and Dylan's following the NFL draft, and he, he's seen the news that Reuben Foster 
Uh, the linebacker from Alabama has gone in for shoulder surgery, or he's scheduled for shoulder surgery, uh, and he's going to be out for four months, and he wants to know how you think that's going to affect his draft stock. I, th- I think he might slide. Um, you know, you've you've got a guy at Foster who's a prem. He's the premier inside linebacker of the draft. Number one on my and, rankings. Yeah, he's going to fit in no matter like where which team drafts him. He's going to be a great player. But if you look at a few of the past um, Alabama linebackers, you've got someone like Courtney Upshaw. He was projected to be a first round pick. Um, he went late in the second. You also had Reggie Ragland from last year. He was considered a can't-miss prospect. He went in the second round as well to Buffalo. Then you've got, going further back, I think people were, have been a little um, once bitten, twice shy um, regarding Alabama linebackers. For instance, Rolando McLean. He was drafted pick uh-huh. number eight pick number eight overall by the Raiders. Um, he was a complete bust, got in trouble with the law, and is now out of the league. Uh, you've also got C.J. Mosley. He was another linebacker for Alabama. Who He was a first-round pick. He went number 17 overall. He probably was a little bit projected to go higher. So you have a history of these inside linebackers. And, uh, well, Courtney Upshaw and Mosley, they, they can all rush the passer to a degree. But for the most part, they're cover linebackers. And you've got a history of them sliding down the draft. So you put that together with Foster... Uh, like having a major surgery on his shoulder. It's going to put him out at least four months. Um, I think we need to wait and see for the medical at the combine, which is coming up in a few weeks. We'll have a much better idea as to where he's going to go once the medical's out on him. But for now, I'd have him slipping down maybe late in the first, maybe even early second, depending on, you know, a few teams like to trade up because they want that first round, first round um, quarterback. So, it wouldn't surprise me, actually, if some team does trade up to land Foster in the first round because they do get that fifth-year option on him as opposed to the, the second-round picks that you only have them for four years before they, they hit free agency. Just a couple of points to clarify here for those listening at home. Um, so he's out for four months, but he's still going to attend the combine. He won't participate in any of the drills. Uh, but as you said, he's going to have a medical and he's still going to interview with all of the teams. Uh, and with the four-month time frame, it's expected that he'll be ready to go for the start of training camp. You know, that, that, that's coming out from his agent probably as well. So um, it's not really something that we can put a whole lot of stock in yet. The agent is definitely not going to be saying, oh, okay, we've got a guy like Ruben Foster who's going to be out for 12 months. Um, his draft stock immediately would plummet. So yeah. The agent, the agent gets a percentage of the contract and the agent's trying to do the best job for his player. So right now, that's a best case scenario, I think, that we'd be looking at. So it definitely is a, a watch this space type of deal. Of course. So thank you to Dylan for your question. And our last question for the first ever Ask Nads, it comes from Tyler in Broken Hill. And Tyler wants to know, Nads, with Sheldon Adelson pulling out of a Las Vegas stadium deal, where do the Raiders stand in their pursuit to relocate to Las Vegas? Thanks for the question, Tyler. Broken Hill, I didn't even know they had internet there. Um, <laughs> he's not going to like hearing that. No, well, at least he's listening into the podcast. Very true. He's we, using we, his we appreciate you, Tyler. He's using his internet cap wisely. Exactly. So, look, if you, if you break the financing down in a, the Las Vegas stadium deal, you had a record $750 million in public subsidies given by the state of Nevada. Then what you also had, you had 500 committed by the, the Raiders, 
And then you had an additional 650 million that was going to be given by Sheldon Adelson. Now, for those people who don't know who Sheldon Adelson is, he is the the owner of the Sands Corporation. So the Sands Corp are a massive casino conglomerate. They have casinos all over the world. Um, Adelson's one of the, he's worth close to, we're talking $28 billion US. So the guy's got money coming out of his ears. And so what happened last week, was it last week? No, it was two weeks ago. Um, Adelson pulled out of the deal. He said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. So they have a $650 million funding gap. Now on the surface, trying to figure out how you're going to fill $650 million is is not the not the easiest of tasks. I mean, the, yeah. the vote that they plan on having for relocation was going to be at the end of March. So you're trying to put something together within a six-week time frame. So it's definitely going to be rushed. That being said, the... the um, the Raiders are really pawns in the situation because the NFL doesn't want to pass up that $750 million in public funds. And the Sands for a long time had been figured that, well, if Sheldon Adelson wasn't part of the deal, they were going to prevent the Raiders from moving to Las Vegas. And a report came out from the Las Vegas Review Journal, which ironically is owned by Sheldon Adelson. So he, he owns his he owns his own paper. He can put out um, whatever he wants, of, whatever he wants exactly. And he published an article from his second in charge man, who's Andy Abood. And in that article, Andy absolutely trashes the Raiders, and he says how difficult the Raiders were to deal with, and that they were completely justified in um, pulling out of the deal. That being said, the nugget that not many people seem to have picked up on, at least many of the mainstream journalists haven't picked up on, is that in that very article, Abood is said that to claim that if the Raiders are able to put financing together, Sheldon Adelson and the Sands Group are not going to stand in the way of the Raiders relocating to Las Vegas. And I think that's the biggest thing that came out of the article. So it means that if the Raiders find financing, they're going to move because nothing is happening in Oakland. Mm. Now, that being said, there is currently a group in Oakland that are trying to put a stadium together. It's led by former former um, Seattle, not Seattle, San Francisco and Raider Ronnie Lott. And Ronnie Lott, he, he's put a... Um, He's hired a PR firm, and what they're specifically designed to do is they're going to be putting out media to trash the Raiders' Vegas plans. And they've been doing it for the last few weeks, and I think you're going to see it ramp up quite a bit more in the lead-up to any potential vote. But realistically, look, this is a fluid situation. Um, You're seeing a new story appear on this every, every couple days, so it's very much a watch this space. I will say now, though, um, make sure that you tune in next week because we're going to have an interview um, with a very, very knowledgeable writer on this, and um, it's going to be it's going to be quite interesting to hear their take because they really have um, much more of an idea as to what's going on than both you or I do. Oh, for sure. Uh, it, as you say, it's definitely going to be a watch this space. But Nads, I've got a suggestion for how they can they can fix the funding gap, and it's a f- it's. An absolutely flawless plan. There's no problem with it. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go and they're going to ask Mexico to give them the money to fill the gap oh. and they're going to make a stadium and it's going to be great and we're going to have really good stadiums. 
Oh, I, I, I thought you were going to say that they were going to put slot machines at the in the stadium. Oh, they'll probably they do that the too. They they can use the revenue off that to pay for the stadium, but. No, I, I like your idea a little better. Well, it's supposedly going to work, so we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> but that rounds up the first ever segment of Hashtag Ask Nads. So for next week's show, make sure you fire in your questions on social media at us, and we'll pick out the best ones and we'll fire them at Nads. All right, guys, it's that time again. I've been bottling this up all week, all show. I've got to get it off my chest. It's time for the slam dunk. Yeah! Open up. Oh, man! Oh, man! Yeah, so slam dunk. Look, this one it's it's uh it's not as lighthearted as last week, Nads. It's a little bit more serious. Um but I think it's a really important topic and I think it really needs to be spoken about. So for those of you that haven't heard, uh Joe Mixon, he's a running back out of Oklahoma. Um he's not been invited to the NFL Combine this year due to his violent past. So by all accounts, uh, it came out today, Mike Mayock's got him as his fifth overall running back, his, his fifth ranked running back as a prospect in this year's draft. So the kid can play, right? The kid can play. But he's not been invited to the combine uh, because video has come out where there's footage of him punching a woman in the face and he broke her jaw uh, and, and did some serious damage. So I'm going to start out this whole segment by saying that absolutely nothing about this is is right. It's completely inexcusable. It should never have happened. Okay? I'm going to get that out there, and now we're going to move on a little bit. So I'm not sure that I agree with the NFL's ban on his attendance at the Combine, and there's a couple of reasons for this. The first is that the Combine, it's a place where all of the scouts come together, and they can actively judge the character of the players all in one place. They can have interviews with him. They can figure out, you know, does he actually have these problems? Is it something that we as an organization don't want to deal with or, or are we going to take a risk on him? Has he got past it, etc.? By not letting him attend the combine, you're denying the scouts of the opportunity to actually evaluate him as a person. But it's not going to stop him working out at his pro day. So they're still going to get all this, the, you know, the physical stats, his 40 dash, his, his broad jump, vert jump, etc., right? On the topic of Joe Mixon, because I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction shortly, but on the topic of Joe Mixon, since that footage came out, the kid can't have done anything better, right? So footage came out, he's issued a public apology, uh, and by all accounts is quite sincere. Um, you know, he's he's doing, he's, uh, as part of it, he's been um, required to do 100 hours of community service, he's doing that. Uh, and look, by all accounts, he's actually a pretty reasonable guy. Everybody at Oklahoma, from you know the top, the head coach to the guy at the the um, entry to the to the car park, running the boom gate, everybody loves him, right? So you know, he he's generally regarded as a very upstanding guy. So you know, it comes back to that issue of do people. Uh, professional athletes in particular, do they deserve a second chance? So if we just look around the league a little bit really quickly, I'm not sure that the NFL has a particularly great stance on this. I think they don't quite go about it in the right way in that their their philosophy is basically if there's video video footage, you're gone. Like, you're, you're screwed. If there's no video footage, well, we're just going to sweep that under the rug and pretend that it didn't happen. So let's take a look at a couple of names here, Nads. Ray Rice. He got a two-game suspension uh, 
video footage came out, uh, and then he ended up getting suspended indefinitely. So he's gone. Tyreek Hill. Let's compare him to Ray Rice. So Tyreek Hill got drafted last year to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he's got charges of domestic assault and battery. That's a felony charge, and he pleaded guilty to it. So he admitted that he did it, whether or not there's video footage irrelevant. The guy has come out and said, yep, I did this, right? He punched a chick. He punched a chick in the stomach. He strangled her and hit her in the face. So he's punched her in the face and the stomach, which is exactly what uh, Joe Mixon's done. He's pleaded guilty. There's no video footage. Roger Goodell, nah, don't care. You know, this guy's a talent. He's bringing people to the games. It's the same thing, Nads. It's the same damn thing. If we then, let's let's move on. We've got, you know, Adrian Peterson, widely regarded as one of the best running backs in the league. He's, you know, that history with child abuse. That's arguably worse. Like, a kid can't even defend himself. Even better, he doesn't even think what he did was child abuse, right? He only gets six games. Then we go to, to Greg Hardy. Domestic violence. He's got ten, but that got taken down to four. And last name on the list, Jeremy Hill. A lot of people probably don't know this, but he punched a guy in the head while he was in college. He pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor battery charge. Again, pled guilty, no consequences. But the NFL's stance seems to be that if if there isn't video footage of it, then it's not a problem. But Nads, I'm telling you, it is a problem, regardless of whether there's footage or not. All of these professional athletes are role models, and they need to set an example for the younger generations that are watching this game and grow up going, I want to be like that guy right? We can't have them setting this terrible example for the kids that watch the games. So, there's two two final points that I want to make here. Number one, it really, really pains me when talent like this is wasted by stupid decisions. Because, Nads, I don't know about you, but I would kill for the, the athletic talent that some of these guys have and the potential careers that they can carve out for themselves in the NFL, but they waste it by doing stupid things that you and me would never even consider doing in a million years. So that's the first point. That annoys me. The last and the biggest point of the slam dunk for this week is that the NFL needs to sort themselves out. It either has to be acceptable or it's not that you can get away with stuff like this, right? There has to be consistency. And while I believe that people should be given second chances in life, we all make mistakes, I don't think those second chances should be awarded based on how good you are at football. And that's the slam dunk, Nads. Mate, that wasn't just a slam dunk. That was a Steph Curry three from beyond half court. (laughs) Would you expect any less, mate? Oh, of course not. Absolute swish. What a gen. Look, I reckon, I reckon we're going to have to push a few things back to, uh, to next week, mate. We've covered so much this week, and there's still so much to cover, though. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think we're going to have to, Nads. Guys, make sure you tune in next week. So we're going to have to push a full breakdown of the coaching changes and the free agent movements so far. Uh, we're going to have to push that back to next week. On top of that, next week, we've also got a huge show already lined up. We've got an interview regarding the... Uh, Las Vegas Stadium relocation. We've got a free agency preview. We're going to start our draft build-up with position rankings for running backs and defensive ends. So it's going to be a huge show, Nats. Uh, it's going to be a ripper. I can't wait. I mean, like the NFL really doesn't have an off-season. There's always so much going on. It's, t- it's a 24-7-365 sport, that's for sure. Exactly right. Guys, make sure you give us a like on Facebook at Any Given Monday POD, and then also check us out on Twitter. We're on there at 
any given M-O-N-P-O-D. That's at any given M-O-N-P-O-D. You can also catch us on our individual Twitter handles. You can catch Nads at H-B Nadolny, N-A-D-O-L-N-Y. And you can catch me at D-Song, S-O-A-N-G. Wraps it up for another week. Keep fighting for those inches, guys. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Can he catch up? He's 40. Oh, he's in the man. 35. Look at him go. 30.